Amen. Aren't you glad that he knows all about our troubles and all the trials that we go through? He knows my name. Praise the Lord for that. Well, it's good to be in church tonight, even though it's all, all ten of us or whatever it is. I think, you know, they have that um, six-foot distance rule. I think we're probably practicing in here about a 60-foot distance rule or so, but uh, we're glad to be here. Wish you all could be here. I know our preacher wishes everyone can be here in service with us tonight, and uh, it's unbelievable. I still am finding myself... Uh, thinking to myself, thinking, is this really happening across America with churches all over, the fact that uh, we're not able to meet because of the health concerns and all that? And I just find myself thinking, wow, I can't believe this is happening. If somebody would have told me that this was going to happen just uh, three weeks ago, we would have all looked at them and said, you are crazy, you have lost your mind, but this is the new norm, at least for a little while. And uh, I want to echo what the preacher was talking about, your tithes and offering. Be, be faithful about that. I was walking in Walmart today. Uh, they haven't closed that down, so praise the Lord for that. But we were walking in Walmart, and we saw one of our church members there, and they, she stopped me, and she said, I'm so glad somebody from Woodland came by here today. I was praying that that would happen. And make a long story short, she began to ask me what the church address was because she had sent her tithe in, and it got sent back to her. And so the address for our church, we'll just give it out, is 1175 Bethania Rural Hall Road right here in Winston-Salem. It got sent back because they had put Rural Hall, but it's actually Winston-Salem, zip code 27106. So that's just a, another way that you can give. So be, I hope you'll be in prayer about that. And we just definitely want to keep everything moving forward as, 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 as much as we can. And we are excited. I'm excited about that first Sunday back. I know our preacher's excited. It's going to be great to have our service back and to see these, uh, all these seats filled back up. And until then, uh, we'll try not to be awkward with all ten of us in here. I told the preacher the other day, I said, I said you do not seem awkward one bit. And he looked back, he said, it is awkward, and I'm here to tell you, it is awkward. But uh, anyway, you know, in, in these times that we're in, churches have kind of had to get creative on what they're, what they're doing and get uh, really innovative. And so we, I, I dug up a slide, I want to show it to you, hopefully that everyone at home can see it, but we've actually figured out a way that we're going to be able to baptize with all this social distancing going on. We've figured out we can just grab a dunk tank and we're going to have a social distancing baptistry here. So if you have been born again, you've been saved, and you'd like to get baptized, we've got just the one for you. So I can think of a few people we might like to do that with. No, I'm just joking. But anyway, we'll go ahead and we better get to the scripture here. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. We'll begin reading here in just a little bit. But you know, there's just something about being in God's house with God's people, albeit in an unusual way now with the times that we're in through the live stream or maybe through radio or whatever media we might use. But really, I'm so glad that I'm a part of the family of God. You know, I'm not here tonight to bring you up to date on the coronavirus. I'm not a doctor. I don't know how the virus mutates or doesn't mutate or what kind of recurrence rate there is or what kind of long-term damage might be done to, to your lungs. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a research specialist tonight. What I am is a preacher of the gospel of Christ, and that's what I'd like to do tonight and just give you a little thought that came to my mind. Really, it was born in my heart some time ago, but I think about our country, and I think that how strong we are as a nation, and we've depended on God for so many years, and we've begun drifting further and further away from God, but I've, I've thought about different events that we've gone through. We've gone through World War I. We've gone through, not, we pers not me personally, 
But we've, as a nation, we've gone through World War I. We've gone through the Great Depression. We've gone through World War II. We've gone through other wars and conflicts. I can remember just some 19 years ago when 9-11 hit. I can remember exactly where I was that next Sunday. The churches were full. People were looking for answers. And you know what? We're all looking for answers. We want answers. And so, you know, it was 60 years since a major attack happened on the U.S. And all of a sudden, boom, 9-11 happened. And we were attacked. And I remember... I remember just four days after that, I was catching a flight to, to another state to go to a youth workers conference, and I remember the, just the eeriness of being on that flight, and, and it was, so it was that Saturday right after 9-11, so that would have been, what, the 15th or so, and uh, I remember being on that flight, we were getting on that flight, heading out of Oakland, and uh, you, can, you can call it racial profiling or whatever you want to call it, but back then, you, we, just, we didn't really know the extent of who was responsible for it. We kind of had an idea, and uh, we were on that plane, and one person began to just talk a little bit, and we really got all nervous. I mean, you can just tell the, just the eerie feeling that was on that plane, and it was just, you know, that eerie feeling. I remember that so vividly, and even today, uh, there's that eerie feeling, you know, looking at a church that probably seats 1,000 or 1,100 and having 10 or 11, 12 people in there, it's just unbelievable, but there is a, a degree of uncertainty in the air, and I think about that verse in Psalm chapter number 121. We'll get to our scripture here in a minute. But I think of that verse in Psalm 121. It says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. Let's band together. Let's encourage each other. Let's love each other. Let's pray for each other. You know, during these times, finances might get tough. Parents, you know, they're having to figure out how to, to school the kids and do this thing at home and, and do all this. These are uncharted waters for many of us. These are unprecedented times. Let's pray for each other. Let's pray for our nation. Let's pray for our pastor. Let's look at the Word of God tonight. I want to bring you a message entitled, What We Have in the Midst of a Pandemic. What We Have in the Midst of a Pandemic. Or I could also term it, What We Have in the in the midst of pain, or I could term it what we would have, what we have in the midst of persecution. And though I'm not likening this COVID-19 coronavirus case to persecution, but I want to kind of make a parallel from the scripture. And uh, there are some things in the midst of all of this. Why, why, why do I bring up the subject of persecution? Well, like I said, this message was born in my heart probably about two weeks ago. And it was March 15th. Many of you will remember that was the first service, first Sunday morning service that we had. And we came and we, just the, we had just the, the folks here to run the service. And we had a few extras, but there was right around 50-some people here that Sunday. And it was just and that eerie feeling came back to me. And it was just an eeriness. It was unnatural. It was not normal. It was strange. It was, it was odd. It was bizarre. It was really spine-chilling. It was unnerving to think that, all of a sudden, just like that, our service can go from eight, nine hundred all the way down to about 50 people. But here's the thought that came across my mind, and I want to share it with you tonight. Here's the thought that came. Is this what it would be like if persecution actually came to America? Is this what it would be like if persecution came to America? And like I said, I'm not likening persecution to the pandemic. I want to take those and separate them, but I just want to draw a parallel. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter number 3, 
And verse number 10 is where we'll read, and we'll read down through verses number 17. And I was a little hesitant to bring the message from 2 Timothy. Obviously, any of you that uh, have been attending Woodland on Wednesday nights, you know that our preacher's been going through the book of uh, 2 Timothy, and it's the manual for maturity. I'm not going to try to do an expository message on these verses tonight. I just want to lift a few things out, and I, he'll, he'll be a much better expositor of those verses. But I want to look at just a few verses. It says in verse number 10, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, and then there's that word persecutions. Then we see the word afflictions, which I, would, I wrote in my Bible next to that, pain, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus then Paul the Apostle goes on and he says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You know, Paul was part of what we would call the early church. And before I go any further, let's ask the Lord to bless us as we try to preach the Word of God this evening. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Thank you for the opportunity to preach the Word of God tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Lord, I pray that you do what only you can do. Lord, I pray that you'd minister to those that are listening by way of radio. Lord, I pray that you'd minister to those that are listening by way of our website or maybe Facebook or the YouTube channel, whatever their, their condition might be. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just go through those uh, medias, Lord, and speak. I pray for those that are in here, Lord, that we would draw closer to you because of being here tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So Paul, he was part of what we would call the early church. The early church during this time was undergoing persecution. You know, if we really knew what the early church experienced and indeed what Christians, even in other parts of the world today, are experiencing, we would really find ourselves maybe looking a little bit sheepish if, if we were uh, exposed at maybe some complaining we might do or, or talking about how bad it might be. And I understand this pandemic, we are out of our comfort zone. So many of us are out of our comfort zone, but really, for the most part, if I were to go to your home and if I were to go to my home, my kitchen cabinets are still pretty full. There's tomato soup there and there's vegetables and there's, there's bread and there's rice and beans and all that. And many people in other parts of the country, they don't have all that. But during the early church, there were arrests going on. There was persecution. There was jail time. There was stonings. And you know, it cost something back then to be a Christian. And Paul is writing to young Timothy and the early church was strong because of several things. That early church had unity. And I want to encourage us at Woodland Baptist Church, let's remain united. I think of that statement, united we stand, divided we fall. During these times, let's be even more close to each other. Let's get plugged into each other. Let's pray for each other. Let's call each other up and encourage. It, the early church had unity. It had persecution. Yet the church just flourished. We live in a country, the USA, the United States of America, where it is so easy to be a Christian. 
You know, no line in the sand has to be drawn. We don't have to make it a bold and pronounced statement of where we stand in our Christian life. But you know what, I want to encourage you. I, I don't want to be a mediocre Christian. I know the other day I had this thought during that, that, that first service. Are you, but even more importantly, am I the type of Christian that would stand if persecution came to our country. If for some reason that all of a sudden our, our services were legally stopped and the government was oppressive and they went to go stop us, would we be standing? If our congregation went from 1,500 just down to 100 because of actual persecution, would I be one of the 100? Would you, listening by way of media tonight, would you be one of the 100. My prayer is that if persecution were to come to the great Woodland Baptist Church, that this church, this local assembly that we call Woodland Baptist Church, would we mount up like a unified army and fight the battle for the Lord? I don't want to be a complacent Christian. During this time, like the preacher said, now's not the time to let up. Let's put our foot down on the pedal, full speed ahead, and say, Lord, I don't know when I'll be able to get back to church, but until then, I'm going to stay faithful in my Bible. I'm going to stay faithful in prayer. I'm going to stay faithful and talk to who I can. I don't want to be a complacent Christian. In the early 1400s, there was a fellow by the name of John Huss. If you know anything about history, John Huss was a Catholic priest. He had a church in Prague, Czechoslovakia, and in the name of the church was Bethlehem Chapel. And through the preaching, he began to see error in the Catholic Church, and he began preaching salvation by works, which 600 years ago, that was not the thing to do. Huss began to boldly preach the truth of salvation by grace alone. People took notice of this, and they began to come, and they began to, uh, the results were many began to, to trust Christ as Savior and, and to, to, to go against what the Catholic Church believed. And you know, on the contrary, the Pope during this time, he promised forgiveness of sins to all who supported his leadership. Huss did not back down from the pointing of the error of the Pope. He began to just keep preaching and keep preaching the Word of God and keep preaching salvation by grace. You know what? This caused great suffering for John Huss. He, he underwent some persecution because, because of it. Here's what the result was because of John Huss's preaching salvation by grace. He was burned at the stake because of his refusal to change his preaching. And as that wood was lit and the flames licked his body, Huss cried out. Here's what he cried. He said, what I have taught with my lips, I now seal with my blood. And he says, Lord, I commend my spirit to you. You know what? This might be bad English, but here's what another Latin apologist said. He said, the oftener we are mown down by you, meaning those that persecute us, the more in number we grow. The blood of Christians is seed. You know, that's the blood of the Christian. Is, is, it's seed. You know, when, when Christians all of a sudden see that they're persecuted, that seed will sprout up and other Christians begin to just get on fire for the Lord. That precious blood of God's people just causes multiplication, just the seed to spur on growth. You know, though this is not persecution, what we're going through, let's use this time of uncertainty for a time of growth. Let's use this time to be even a fervent, more fervent Christian. This country used to be a Christian 
Christian nation. You know, we used to have our roots in the Bible. You know, despite what revisionists uh, revisionists might like to say, they can't take away that this nation was founded on the Word of God. Bible-believing Christianity now is portrayed really as an oppressive bully out to make lives miserable. No matter what issue is raised, any view which is contrary to what the popular belief is, they would say that that arouses suspicion. We're kind of suspect of that. You know, history has shown that persecution ultimately strengthens the church. Persecution organically, it removes the casual Christian. But you know what persecution does? It empowers others to both stand firm when persecuted and become more aggressive in sharing his or her faith. I want to ask you tonight, are we prepared to truly suffer for our faith? Do we really believe what we say we believe? I'm going to give you three thoughts tonight, and we'll wrap up. Number one, what we have in the midst of a pandemic, we see it right here in the Scripture. It says in verse number 11 and 12, it says, uh, let's jump down to number 12. It says, Yea, in all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You know, we're all going to face troubles. We're all going to face trials. It might be a pandemic. It might be pain. It might be persecution. But you know what? Let's live for God. The Apostle Paul makes a declaration. We have a declaration. The declaration is, hey, the fact is that we're going to go through persecution. We're going to go through pain. We're going to go through different things. But you know what? We, we say if we have a desire to live for the Lord, persecution is different all over the world. Persecution is different from individual to individual. It comes in different degrees. To some, it might be ridicule from somebody at work because of your choice to live for Christ. For another, it might be jail time for preaching the gospel. No, maybe not in the United States, but in other parts of the country. To some, it might be uh, having to have underground church, you know, where you can't meet publicly. I want to encourage us, the Woodland Baptist Church, may we have strength to stand whether it is easy or not easy. So number one, we see the declaration. There's a declaration that Paul says. He says, hey, all that will live godly. If you're going to attempt, if you're going to have a desire to live godly, we're going to go through tough times in our life. That's just a fact of it. I think of that verse, as the Bible says, as sparks fly upward, man is born unto trouble. You know, we, we, from the day we're born, we're going we're gonna to go through troubles. We're going to go through trials. So we see... The declaration. Then look at verse number 10 and 11. It says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, but out of them, I love this phrase, out of them all the Lord delivered me. Number two, we have a deliverer. I want to say to us, we have a mighty God. We have a deliverer. I think about Paul and Silas back in the book of Acts, how they were thrown into jail because of preaching. They started singing and they praised God anyway. The earth began to shake and those prison doors threw open wide. Paul and Silas, what did they do like the song says? They stepped outside. You know what? We serve a God that will deliver us. Look at Psalm 54. And verse number 7, it says, For he hath delivered me out of all trouble, and my eye hath seen his desire 
upon mine enemies. Christian, tonight, maybe you're in the depths of despair. Maybe you don't know how you're going to go on another day. I want to encourage you. We have a deliverer. My mind goes back to the Old Testament. I think about the book of Daniel. And Daniel was a ruler of the province of Babylon. And at Daniel's request, Daniel had some friends, and at his request, he chose three of his friends to a place of authority in Babylon. Now, the king of Babylon during that time was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was, a, God, was a, a king who did not believe in the same God that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believed in. But, so what Nebuchadnezzar did was, out of pride, he decided to go and build a 90-foot image. It was 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. Can you imagine? A 9-story building high, 9 feet wide. He set it up in the plain of Durham, and he told everyone to come. He told the, the princes. He told the governors. He told the captains. He told the sheriffs. He told the judges. He told the treasurers. He told the counselors. He told all the rulers of the prince. He said in Daniel 3 and verse number 4, he said, Then and Harold cried out, to you it is commanded, so this is a herald, this is a servant of Nebuchadnezzar. He says, to you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, has set up, and then he says, And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a fiery furnace. What a decree. What a challenge. Would these three men who were placed there by Daniel, would they succumb? Would they bow down? These three men began to reverse, I believe. They began to go back to the book of Exodus, and they began in their minds to, to think about Exodus chapter number 20 and the Ten Commandments where it says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I think about those three Hebrew children. I bet they also began to think about where it says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. I began. I think they began to look back in their mind and think, oh, there's that verse, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them. Here's what the three Hebrew children decided. They decided they would not bow. The music ended up playing and they were supposed to bow. All others fell down and worshipped, but you know what? They weren't going to bow. They weren't going to bow the knee. They were reported to the king, the king Nebuchadnezzar. He was full of pride he brought those men before him. They had to appear before the king. The king gave him a second chance and said, Look, you know, you know the decree. You know what's going to happen. I'm going to put you in the fiery furnace if you don't bow down. And the, king, the, the three, here's what they looked back and said. They said, King, we're not careful to answer thee. He said, We're not worried about it. You know, we're, if God's going to, he can deliver us. And if not, that, that be the will of God. You know, I like that determination of those three Hebrew children. They said, hey, come what may, be it known, we will not bow. I like that de determination to simply serve God. You know what, I'm not advocating us tonight uh, disobeying the present law as far as this pandemic goes. Lay that aside. But I like the determination of these men. You know, and what the king did, he heated that furnace up seven times hotter. He threw the men in the furnace the men that actually threw the three Hebrew children into the fire, they ended up burning up. He, you know what? God permitted these men to go into the fire. But here's the good news. The good news is, hey, when those three went into the fire... 
There was somebody else that went in the fire with them. The Lord Jesus Christ went in the fire with them. You know, I want to encourage you. In your darkest hour, maybe you're in, in the depths of despair. Maybe you don't know how you're going to pay that next bill. Maybe you don't know how you're going to get through this next four or five weeks. But I want to tell you, God is there with you. He's there in your darkest hour. The child of God, you might be going through a fire, but He is with you. You know, the hair of these three Hebrew children, when, went, when they went through the fire... Not even their hair was singed. The clothes weren't even burned. Not even the smell of smoke was on them. You know, Nebuchadnezzar saw this. Nebuchadnezzar had a heart change. He ended up defending these three men and the true God, the God of Israel. Look what it says in Daniel chapter 3 and verse number 28. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel, and I like, here's that phrase again, and delivered his servants that trusted in him. God wants to deliver us. He's going to deliver us. He's going to get us through this. We'll get through this, and, we, and if we'll just stay close to him, we'll come on the other side and say, hey, Lord, you've got us through a tough time. Maybe, you're, maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's financial time. God can deliver you. Look at what it says in Daniel 3 and verse number 29. It says, therefore I, that's Nebuchadnezzar, make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. Wow, what a turn of events. And their houses shall be made at dunghill. And then look what Nebuchadnezzar said. He said, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Woodland Baptist Church, Christians all over America, there's no other God after this sort. You know, I'm sure that these three men, they weren't sure how it was all going to turn out, but they were determined to serve the King of Kings. You might not know how all this will end. I, don't, I can't guarantee you that you might not come down with this coronavirus. I can't guarantee you might not end up in, some, in, in a hospital bed. I can't guarantee that I might. But you know what? We will get through it. God will deliver us. So we see, number one, we have a declaration. We're going to go through persecution, pain. But you know what? We have a deliverer. And then lastly, we have a divine book. Aren't you glad in times of trouble, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of pain, we have the Word of God. Look at verse number 15 and 16. Paul says, he says, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad the Scriptures can give us wisdom and that wisdom can be, can be translated into, into salvation. We can have salvation because of the Word of God. Then he says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished. You know what? The Word of God tonight, I want to give you just a few things about the Word of God. The Word of God is inspired. It is God-breathed. The Bible says in 2 Peter 1 and verse number 21, it says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We have a word of God, the word of God, that is God-breathed. Theonoustes is breathed by the Holy Spirit. The word of God is inerrant. It is without errors. Of all the prophecies that were spoken of in the Old Testament came to pass. It's inerrant. It's without error. You know, anything that was foretold came to pass. The Word of God 
is infallible. It's never failing. It always, it's always effective. You know, you think about medicines that we take. You know, they have a, a shelf life. They have a, only, they're only going to do good for so long. But the Word of God, through the ages, it's always effective. It will never lose its power. Aren't you glad the Word of God is always able to affect a person if they'll just listen to it, if they'll just heed it? This book can give you peace in the midst of persecution. This book can give you peace in the midst of a pandemic. This, this Word of God, the book, this book can give you peace in the midst of your pain and in your trial. The Word of God can do so much. And in closing, just the two things about what does the Word of God do for us. Letter A, if you've got your prayer sheet out or if you've got it there pulled up on your computer. Letter A, it counsels our life. The Word of God counsels our life. It tells us what we can do, what we should do, how we should do it. Psalm 119, verse number 24, it says, Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. The Word of God can be our counselor. You know, so many times in our life when we have questions, we run to people for counsel. And that's actually biblical. It's good. It's great to do that. We need to seek biblical counsel from a pastor or from a parent or from a, a godly teacher or whoever. But you know what? Most of all, we need the counsel straight from the Word of God. We need counsel when it comes to our marriage. We need counsel when it comes to raising children. We need counsel when it comes to our finances. We need counsel when it comes to raising our family for the, the Lord. It, it counsels our life. And then letter B, what else does it do? It comforts the heart. Aren't you glad the Word of God comforts our heart? The Bible says in Psalm 119 and verse 49, it says, Remember the word unto thy servant, upon which thou hast caused me to hope. You know what the Word of God can do for us? It can give us hope. You know what? That's what we need during this time. We need hope. I've got hope. I've got excitement. I'm looking forward to that Sunday when we can meet back here all of a sudden as a church family. And I, I look forward to the days when the, the pews are filled once again. But you know what? The Word of God can give us that hope. Then look at the next verse, Psalm uh, 119 and verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction. We're, we're going through some hard times. I won't try to sugarcoat that, but it says, For thy word hath quickened me. It's made us alive. We have hope. In the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of your pain, God's Word can give you comfort. We can be assured God loves us. You're here, you're, you're here tonight, or maybe you're at home, maybe you're listening by way of radio, maybe you're listening by way of internet. I want to assure you, though no one, not, not, not everyone might know what you're going through, God loves you. We can be assured that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. You know another name given to the Holy Spirit is the Comforter. He is the Comforter. We can recall that Christ was tempted in all points just like us, yet without sin. There is comfort in knowing, hey, we serve a God who is perfect and who is perfect, who never sinned, and He can help us through this thing. So in closing, as you, as you log off here in just a little bit, as we leave this place, or as you log off your radio station or your internet, remember, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of your trials, and in the midst of your pain, we have a declaration. Paul says, hey, we're going to go through persecutions. We're going to go through afflictions. We're going to go through pain. We're going to go through trials. He declares it. But then he says, we have a deliverer. God wants to deliver you. We have a divine book. Aren't you glad we have the Word of God? God 
is immutable. He's unchanging. That same God that was with us way back in February before any of this hit, that same God is there with us tonight. He'll get us through as God is unchanging. Psalm 46 and verse number 1, it says, God is our refuge. He's our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Maybe you're listening tonight and you say, Oh, Brother Mark, I understand a little bit of what you're saying about God, but really, I don't even know for sure that if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. Maybe you logged on, maybe, some, maybe a friend of yours happened to share this, this church service and you logged on and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior. I want to extend an invite, though I can't see you, though I can't uh, see who you are. I want to extend an invite that is for the whole world. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible says, hey, if you'll just come to me, admit that you are a sinner, admit that because of your sins, you deserve to go to a place called hell. That's what the Bible says. That's not what I say. That's what the Bible says. And if we'll trust Christ in the fact that he died on the cross to give us eternal life in heaven one day, the Bible says in Romans 10 and verse number 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That word call just simply means to ask. All you've got to do, you say, Brother Mark, that seems so simple. That's how, that's, the Bible makes it simple. You see, it's so simple that sometimes we let our pride get in the way and think, oh, that's, it can't be that simple. But that's what God says. God says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He also tells us in Titus, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. All we have to do is ask Christ into our heart to give us eternal life. If you're listening tonight and you don't know Christ as your Savior, there's, much more, there's a bigger thing to worry about than whether or not you're going to get this virus, if you're going to contract it. The bigger thing is where will you spend eternity? Will it be in heaven or hell? There's only two options. Maybe you're listening tonight and you say, I'm not the Christian I need to be. Maybe you need to rededicate yourself. Maybe you need to say, hey, when that church door is open, I'm going to be there, and until then, I'm just going to watch every service. I'm going to, I'm going to follow along when our preacher preaches, and I'm going to do whatever I need to do. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible, because you know what? We serve a mighty big God. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're there and you're...